This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom, so we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Letarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, give John a follow at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me at Ski 52 Today we're going to be back making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights at UFC 236, Holloway versus Poirier. John, it's been a while since we've talked, since the uh, Bones uh, Smith pay-per-view. A lot going on there, but the biggest storyline in the last couple of days here has been uh, the TJ Dillashaw uh, USADA suspension got popped for EPO, suspended two years. Uh, you know, the, 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 that's rippling throughout this whole uh, bantamweight, flyweight, all, all this drama that's been going on lately. Uh, what did you originally react to the news? I guess were you surprised? And uh, what does this mean for the bantamweight? division from here no i was definitely surprised when i heard it i mean i don't know if i should have been because you know it certainly seems like this can happen to anybody these days but um like you said you know this was a serious offense uh i'm pretty sure two years is the maximum suspension you can get for a first time violation if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and uh he got it and um you know once he agreed to relinquish his bantamweight title you know without any you know on his own with you know the post it's obviously quite clear they had him dead to rights and um you know it's it's surprising in a sense and um it's also a shame you know this is a guy who you know we've always talked about as he's gotten older you know over the past several years has become a better fighter and no matter what he does the rest of his career you know he comes back in a couple years or whatever and he's totally clean the rest of the way um, you know, this and, you know, rightfully so, I guess, is something that's going to be hanging over, you know, his head and his legacy the rest of the way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, again, I don't have the perfect me- medical expertise for this kind of thing, but uh, EPO is something on its own. I don't think it's a performance enhancer, but it's typically used to mask uh, certain types of blood doping, uh, which is apparently what happened here. And now we've got all the whole fallout from his trainer and a strength and conditioning coach. And uh, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one the rest of the way out for him. I mean, uh, the guy's, let's see, you know, he, he's been around quite a while and he's going to have a tough time getting back to the top after this, you know. So we'll see what happens with his career and the Bantamweight title picture. I mean, Marlon Moraes, Aljamain Sterling, there's some decent contenders uh, for that. I, I can't remember if they have anything official announced, but do you got a, do you got a favorite for that division or for what's going to uh, happen here? Uh, they do. Moraes and Cejudo's happening. Oh, there um, you go. Thanks for filling me um, in. Yeah, I, I mean, I would, I would take Moraes probably um, simply because of the size differential between the two. Um, but it, look, it's, it's definitely a deep division, you know, you, Dillashaw was, pro- was the star of the division. So, you know, you don't want to say losing him doesn't hurt at all, you know, cause it certainly does, mm-hmm. but, um, the division certainly has the depth to overcome that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess once again, it's just, you, you can't be surprised when these things get announced, no matter who it is and no matter what happens, you really just, you can't be surprised when one of these guys get popped for these things. Exactly. You would think every guy getting hit would make the next guy, you know, learn his lesson, but, you know, it doesn't seem to be the case. No, exactly. And, uh, of course, that's just one of the side effects of having a clean sport and having these side of uh, testing. We'll get into this once in a while. But, John, let's give the people what they want. Uh, everybody's here, hopefully, for a discussion of UFC 236. We're going to talk about the main fights and a few other ones, uh, a few toss-ups at the end of the show. We're going to talk DraftKings, DFS strategy here, uh, building winning lineups, multiple strategies. And, of course, that all is going to start with uh, we've got a pair of interim title fights here. And we'll start with the headliner, the main event, uh, Max Holloway, Dustin Poirier. Holloway, the 145-pound champion, moving up to 155. Poirier, there wasn't really going to be a, a clear shot at Habib Nurmagomedov uh, in the recent future or in the near future because of the he's got his own suspension from the post Connor fight antics. He might be back uh, in New York later in the year. We'll we'll see what happens there. I would imagine the winner gets Habib next, um, but. Holloway enters this one as a pretty hefty betting favorite, and the DraftKings salaries do reflect that. Holloway minus 225. The comeback on Poirier is plus 185. Holloway 9,100 on DraftKings. Poirier 7,100 on DraftKings. This is a five-round fight. Probably want to get a piece of it because these guys, especially Holloway, are volume strikers. Though the odds to finish in this one are minus 250. I actually wasn't was expecting that to be a little bit lower. I mean, that's one of the bigger ones on the main card, bigger than some of the light heavyweight matchups we have. Uh, but that's the matchup. This is a rematch of a two. 2012 fight in which Holloway was only 20 years old. That was before he rattled off his 13-fight win streak that he is on now. Uh, Poirier won that fight via first-round submission. It was a triangle armbar. But, John, a lot of a lot has changed since then. I don't think either of us have this fight going the same way, but why don't you go ahead and break it down for us? Yeah. Um, the first fight was so long ago and you know, over seven years ago now, and each of these guys are in totally different places than they were back then, to the point where I would say that the first fight between the two is essentially irrelevant, um, really. And um, I'm not the biggest proponent of interim title fights simply because – more often than not, it's just a cash grab by the company. They're short a fight, and they want to throw a belt on someone to try and jack up pay-per-view buys or jack up ratings or whatever. Um, I think the next title, uh, the Gastelum-Adesanya title fight, which we're going to talk about next, does make some sense. I'm not crazy about this one. I'm crazy about the fight. The fight itself and the mashup should be excellent. Um we all know about Max Holloway, UFC featherweight champion, hasn't lost in more than five years, 13 wins in a row. 
obviously, and those 13 wins have come over studs, Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo twice, Cub Swanson, Anthony Pettis, Ricardo Lamas, list goes on and on. Um, Holloway is a massive featherweight. He's five foot eleven. Um, you will very, very rarely find a guy in the division that big. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've all seen um, the effects that the weight cut has had on Holloway. Remember the interview he gave where he sounded like he was drunk, but he wasn't. You know, he was having all these issues. And I think with the way Holloway fights, that the ten extra pounds on his frame is going to help him. Now. The only concern I really have is that Holloway is the guy who will be fighting in, you know, the new division. You know, he has fought in lightweight in the, at lightweight in the past, but it's been almost eight years, so um, it's essentially a new division for him. He was booked for the, the Habib fight, but it was kind of short notice, and he couldn't quite make the weight. Yeah, that was very short notice, and he had problems with the weight. Um, I'm picking Holloway to win, but I'm not. I don't love the salary for him. I think Poirier is the better salary play. And I am really surprised that there's such a big gap. Um, Vegas odds have Holloway at minus two twenty-five, and even at that set, even at with those odds, I think the gap between the two is pretty significant. Um, I don't love my main concern about Poirier, and the reason I think the odds to finish on this fight are so high is I'm not a gigantic fan of Poirier's fight IQ, and when I say that, he's just so aggressive. And he's willing to get into brawls. And that usually work. I mean, he's so talented that a lot of the time that works out just fine. But um, when you start getting in there with a guy who, like Holloway, who's obviously one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world now, and so technical and so smooth, if you get overly aggressive and ignore your defense, um, you're going to get picked apart. Um, so we'll see. I, and I think that this should be a competitive fight. Poirier is two inches shorter than Holloway, but I would venture to say Poirier fights with more physicality than Holloway. Mm-hmm. He'll look the like st- the bigger man. Holloway's a little bit slight, especially moving up the division. He's slighter, and Holloway is more – he hits hard, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But Holloway is more combinations and volume, like you mentioned, and you know, constantly throwing um, you know, punches and different kinds of strikes, while Poirier – Probably is a bit more one-punch knockout power, I would say. Mm-hmm. And Poirier has the advantage of competing in the same division he's been in, competing in you know, for quite a while now. Um, so there's the definite value in that. This I expect this to be a fairly close fight. Although la- last time I said that, um, Kamaru Usman ran away from Tyron Woodley. Mm-hmm. But um, this should be a close fight. Um I would think that there would have to be some kind of mistake on Holloway's end for Poirier to win. Um, I don't think that's impossible, um, especially when you take into account, uh, you know, Holloway is the one coming up. But given what we've seen from Holloway um, the past you know, five years or so, um, I think he deserves to be the favorite. But again, 7,100 for a guy with of Poirier's ability is a cheap, cheap price. So, you know, if you're the kind of person who makes multiple lineups, it certainly might not be a bad idea to get him in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I like where you're going with this, John. Uh, first and foremost, I'm going to pick Holloway as well. And I'm also, I made a couple early DraftKings lineups already. Uh, he was definitely in them. Uh, his volume striking is tremendous. I think he's going to win. I mean, his last four fights have been three uh, $50,000 bonuses and finishes of Brian Ortega. It was a doctor stoppage. He landed 290 significant strikes 
in that fight, 290. You know, that's 145 DraftKings points in its own without outcome related or anything like that. That's massive. Uh, knocked out Aldo twice, 174 and 104 significant strikes, and knocked out Anthony Pettis before that. I mean, that run is incredibly impressive. And, and when you look at these two guys uh, collectively against each other, kind of the matchup, uh, Holloway, 6.9 significant strikes landed per minute. Poirier, 5.59, which is a great mark in itself, great statistical mark, um, just not quite as crazy volume, high volume as Poirier. See, I'm glad you explained the odds to finish a little bit. Maybe Poirier gets too aggressive, makes a mistake, and that's why the odds to finish are the way they are. But Poirier, on his side, you know, we've got here three straight performance bonuses for him as well. The only kind of hiccup there was the no contest against Eddie Alvarez, which he later uh, avenged, if you will. Uh, 174 significant strikes landed in the matchup against Dustin Gaethje. These guys are huge volume guys. I Poirier can wrestle if he needs to. He took down Anthony Pettis five times. I'm not sure he necessarily will here. Holloway's got some pretty solid takedown defense here. Um, so I'm definitely using Holloway in my DraftKings lineups. But there's a very good case to be made, at least with my, within my opinion. I, I know I asked this a lot, but this is one where I think you could feasibly stack this fight in a cash game. Use both of these guys. Hope the fight gets to you know the fourth or fifth round, the championship rounds. Uh, one guy's going to win. You'll get that win bonus no matter what, and you'll get strike points, hopefully in high volume from both of them. I mean, probably not in big, ter- large field tournaments. I don't think you can get away with it, but uh, definitely in your cash games, I think that's a viable strategy. Yeah, it is um, more so than, like you said, we don't, we generally don't advocate doing that simply because, you know, if one guy finishes the other guy quickly, your rest of your lineup is essentially shot. Um, but these are two fighters who combined have upwards of more than 50 fights uh, combined. And Poirier has been knocked out twice in his career. And Max Holloway has never been knocked out. So these are two durable guys. So you see the odds to finish minus 250. And you look at two guys who between between them more than 50 professional fights. And they've only been knocked out three times. And I don't expect this to be a ground battle. I know you don't either. So um, in that case, you got two guys who are durable. You have two guys, especially Holloway, who generally have pretty good cardio. Card- hard- Holloway's cardio is great. Um, I guess the concern is what's it going to look like up a division, but you would think with 10 extra pounds on his frame, it, it would only get God, better. So it's better, right? With less I, you would th- I, would th- I would think so. Yeah, I would hope so. Okay, so we're both in agreement in the pick here, but uh, I think Poirier could be a viable DraftKings pick. There's some there's some value in you know having a bunch of lineups and having some sort of exposure to him because yeah he does have a chance and maybe stacking this fight in cash games we can agree in uh, on a lot of the main principles behind this main event fight but let's look at the co-main event John another uh, awesome matchup which as you alluded to you believe is a more appropriate interim belt situation we have Israel the last stylebender Adesanya taking on Kelvin Gastelum uh, very similar salaries here actually even further apart Adesanya ninety two hundred Gast. 7,000. The betting odds here are a little bit narrower. Uh, Adesanya minus 170. Come back on Gasolum plus 150. Odds to finish are minus uh, 145. So basically we have a fight where Adesanya is less of a favorite but has a bigger salary. Now Gasolum was scheduled to face Robert Whitaker uh, in a title fight a couple months back. Whitaker had to drop out due to a hernia. Could have been a very risky situation. He needs some time on the shelf. I think he's starting to get back training soon. The winner of here uh, presumably will just go ahead and fight Whitaker in some kind of unification belt later on in 2019. But not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, we have an awesome matchup, an awesome title fight between 
Adesanya and Gastelum. Of course, Adesanya is going to look a lot bigger in terms of the length measurements. That's going to become really apparent and might swing more of the money his way, in my opinion here. But before I go on my rant about this one, what do you think, John? Uh, I picked Adesanya and literally just for the pretty much the main reason you just stated. He's six inches taller and he has an eight and a half inch reach advantage. That is, in today's MMA, it is very, very rare that you'll see a fight in which there's that big of a gap in those two areas. Now, this is another uh, this is another fight where I think Gaslam is in a similar situation to Poirier in the fight uh, the fight we just talked about because a fighter of Gaslam's ability and talent level should not be seven thousand dollars. And we always mention this when you see um, whether they're title unification bounce or, or whatever, you know, the John Jones, Daniel Cormier bout was a good example. Guys who are, you know, the cream of the crop is term talent wise, but they're just fighting somebody with, for whatever reason, you know, they're, they're, they have such a low salary. So it's n- almost always a good idea if you're one of those people. And I think most of our listeners do make several lineups to put the underdog in a fight like this in your lineup somewhere because it's very, very rarely that you'll find a fighter of of Gaston's ability for $7,000. Now, that being said, I'm just, I just think there's too much of a size discrepancy between the two. And, um, in the, uh, my preview article I wrote up, I kind of compared it to, I think this could turn out similarly to the second Daniel Cormier, John Jones fight in the sense that if Gastelum is not able to consistently get inside against Adesanya mm-hmm. and make Adesanya defend in close, he's not going to win. Yeah, um, he's got to get in the pocket because he he's great at does. boxing in the pocket, and that's where he can uh, really he's great. shots. Gaslam is great at boxing, and he has a very good chin. So he, I guarantee you he'll be willing to go in there and bat. Gaslam's never been knocked down in history. He'll be willing to go in there and eat a bunch of shots, which he's going to have to in order to land shots of his own. Now, um, you know, the X factor in this fight, and it's going to be talked about in pretty much every fight Adesanya has the rest of the way, um, is his takedown defense. Gaslam is definitely the better wrestler. Um, and I expect him go for numerous takedowns. Now, that's going to be more difficult simply because Adesanya is bigger and longer, and he's going to, every time Gaslam does go for a takedown or fakes a takedown or whatever, he's going to have arms and legs flying at him. So mm-hmm. um, if he does it once or twice and he fails and he, you know, he eats a big shot on the way in, will he get away from that? Uh, you know, that could swing the tide of the fight. If Gaslam fails on the first two tries, you know, there has to be a third and a fourth. You know, you can't just abandon it. So, you know, th- this is this is two guys who are really good. Um, Adesanya's last fight was against Anderson Silva and I know Anderson looked better in the fight than both of us thought he would but there was a clear gap between Silva and Adesanya and I'm on record if Adesanya's uh, takedown and grappling advances are legitimate in the sense that he is able to stay on his feet and you know he can consistently defend the takedown he's a future world champion because <clears throat> excuse me there are very few fighters if any on the roster who can bring his arsenal of striking you know to the octagon so you know this is again probably a clo- i would think it would be a closer fight than the odds and the salaries would leave you to believe but um, there's just a size discrepancy. You know, Gastelum's lone loss at middleweight, 
came to Chris Weidman in a fight that, I mean, quite simply, Gaston was just too small to win. Uh, you know, he did everything right. He, you know, he clocked Weidman a bunch of times, but in the end, Weidman's size advantage won out. And I think welterweight is probably Gastelum's ideal weight class, but he's back. had problems making weight. Yeah, he can't make. No, weight. he's not. He can't, he can't. I. And there's no way the company would allow him and push him in, you know, a big title fight or a main event spot, not knowing if he can make weight. There are some guys who. After, you know, the third or fourth time, you know, they're just not going to get the benefit of doubt about it anymore. And he unfortunately falls into that category. So, yeah, I'm picking out Asanya to win. Um, but I, I think Gaslam put, put it this way to sum it up. Gaslam certainly has the skill set to make this a competitive fight. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if there's just, I think there's just a bit too much on the size and length discrepancy between the two. Yeah, so this is a this is a tough one. I I can't disagree with you on the size and length thing. That is uh, massive, and I'm really hoping that what happens is they they do a stare down during the press conferences the week of the fight. They do the weigh ins, and betters look at that and push a bunch of money on Adesanya because I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to pick Gaslam to win outright here. First off, let me just make clear. I, I do believe in Adesanya's skills for the main part. I like him as a fighter. He's very, very fun to watch. He's got that very unique, diverse striking. He'll come at you from different angles, throw elbows, knees, a lot, a lot of Muay Thai. And we'll, he can even, I know he's fully capable of trying some of the flying stuff as well. Awesome to watch. Uh, he's going to stick around in the UFC. He might even be champion one day. But I look at his fight record. I know he's got a ton of professional kickboxing fights, so there's experience there. But I look at just his UFC path to get here. He's had five UFC fights. And I'm just going to run through it quick. Uh, Rob Wilkinson, uh, Marvin Vittori won by split decision. Then he beat Brad Tavares, looked really good in the five-round main event fight. I think Tavares was injured in that fight. I think that's kind of a, a well-kept secret. Um, you know, not to discount it too much. Then Adesanya had his best win against Derek Brunson. First round knockout, uh, no question for me there. That was awesome. Uh, he earned that. And then, you know, took a unanimous decision against a, a washed-up PED-less Anderson Silva. I, I hate calling him that because he's awesome. Got me into the sport. Love Anderson Silva. But beating Anderson Silva in 2019, I don't know. For me, that's basically meaningless. So for me, the big thing is, one, Adesanya didn't his path to get here he hasn't been fighting the elite fighters like Gastelum has you know beating Jacare Souza beating Michael Bisping uh, you know losing to Chris Weidman he beat Vitor Belfort I ignore that whole no contest thing beating Tim Kennedy uh Gastelum's faced some of the elite um now if this were Adesanya Whitaker I would I would pretty easily pick Whitaker this one I'm having a little tougher time picking Gastelum but I think the path to get here uh Adesanya hasn't faced anyone really that, in my opinion, hits as hard as Gaslam, especially if Gaslam is get, got, gets in the pocket. And Gaslam doesn't really have uh, much for strike or wrestling numbers. The stats don't say it. He hasn't necessarily used it. But I think he can, he'll be able to take Adesanya down. I think there's a good chance uh, he can do that. Now, like you said, you make a great point, John. He could get smoked a couple times while shooting in and decide, uh-uh, no mas, uh uh-uh, you know, I'm done with this. But if he can get a takedown here, that's going to be serious problems because we haven't seen... Adesanya fight off his back, really, and that's going to be kind of a new thing for him. So there are a lot of different little factors that are making me edge this one towards Adesanya. The hype trains on full board, or I'm sorry, that make me edge this one towards Gastelum. The hype train for Adesanya is uh, fully running locomotive, but I think it gets 
derailed here this Saturday. And and for me, hey, 7,000, that makes for an awesome DraftKings bargain if you can get a win. Uh, even if it's a decision win, you got five rounds to rack up fantasy points. And I think there's maybe a chance that Gaslam can get in and really test that chin against Adesanya. So, I mean, the chin isn't a, isn't a question for me. He's, Adesanya's 29 years old. All those kickboxing matches, that's not a big deal. But I think it's the possibility of him having to fight off his back and maybe the resume leading up to this not being strong enough to really merit this opportunity. I can see why he got it. He's hot. He's awesome. He, he, you know, he's hot in terms of winning, of course. Uh, he, he can strike a, a whole, he can strike in so many different amazing ways here. But for me, man, this is Gaslam. Uh, and it's going to be a contrarian play. We'll see how many of our staff picks get that when I post it tomorrow. But I think there's a ton of value here. And I'm going to watch these betting odds pretty closely because if I can get him to slip to the minus 200 range, I think I might pounce. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that he's definitely Gaslam's definitely a value play whether you think he's going to win or not and I think you brought up two really good points the first being this is by far the greatest challenge of Adesanya's career and he hasn't certainly fought the caliber of fires of late that Gaslam has but after this fight's over one way or another uh, we're going to know how legit Adesanya is because uh, Gaslam is no joke and the second thing you mentioned is you know, guys like Adesanya who are pure strikers, Steven Thompson is another that comes to mind. Whenever these guys get into fights, we always talk about what their takedown defense looks like. Mm-hmm. And everybody just kind of assumes that if you're a striker like Adesanya or, you know, you're a world-class, you know, kickboxer like Wonderboy was, that your takedown defense is terrible. And almost unanimously, nine out of ten times, the truth of the matter is – that the takedown defense and the grappling for these guys is somewhere in in the middle. You know, it's never going to be on the level of their striking because that's why they're where they are. But it's also these guys are also world class athletes yep. training with the best the world has to offer, and they know that that's not their greatest strength. So if they're facing a guy who's a wrestler and a grappler, they're going to work on it. You know, so the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. It's not as ter- it's not as terrible as everybody expects it to be, given how strong a striker they are. And you know, so you look at it that way and. But you're right. If Gaslam certainly has the skill set and the talent level to win, and it's always a good idea to get a fighter of that price at seven thousand dollars. Yeah, right. Whether you think whether you think they're going to win or not. Okay, so so right on on the surface, the eighty five percent takedown defense for Israel Adesanya that's like top tier level. Um, but I just don't buy that number uh, in full because Anderson Silva wasn't really going for a takedown. He knocked down knocked out Brunson right away. Tavares wasn't going to do that with uh, his busted up shoulder. And then you know you got these other two guys that you know, are, yeah no are it, no, threats, it means, so. no it means nothing it, yeah. right the eighty five percent takedown defense he has you know means nothing. But like you also mentioned earlier. Gaslam has a background in wrestling, Mm -hmm. but he rarely wrestles. You know, the perfect example of of that is John Volante, who I always go back to. John Volante was an all-American wrestler in college. Mm -hmm. And once he got, became a professional MMA fighter, he never, ever, ever, ever uses his wrestling. Justin Gaethje is another, another perfect example. Justin Gaethje is a terrific wrestler never ever ever uses his skills so essentially that's not part of his game i'm not saying that's gaslam gaslam yeah. is far more likely to use that than the other two guys I mean, he has not late though he's because he's, he's fought overmatched right. guys or right but it's guys not his size you don't want to go to the ground with souza you're not no. big enough to go to the ground with weidman no but it's not a big considering his background 
it's n- probably not as big of an aspect of his game as it should be. But yeah. then again, he's probably fighting in the wrong weight class. Exactly. He might use those skills a lot more mm-hmm. fighting at welterweight. Yeah, from so, what I know we'll about see, him. But this is yeah. a good he was a he was a state champion in high school. Gave it a couple year run in college, but then kind of quit to focus more on on MMA on, on just like that as a whole. So I think it's in his arsenal. Uh, he hasn't used it of late. We're gonna have to see with him if he tries to use it. If I can see him use it to even a little bit of a success earlier, I'm gonna I'm gonna feel really good about this pick early on. But I think uh, I'm I'm gonna go with Gaslam in this fight for those reasons and and. Well, man, I, I feel I feel pretty decent about getting him at seven thousand. I've seen a lot of people just like kind of surf on Twitter. They're making lineups and they've got uh, you know they're leaving two three thousand dollars on the table. And generally, we don't advocate that unless uh, you're you cannot, doing. You, can, you can't do that unless there's some kind of special set of circumstances or you're making ten lineups or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but for but for a large field, okay, you're talking about this uh, like the fifteen dollar MMA throwdown on DraftKings. You want to win the thirty k in first place. You're gonna have to do a couple weird things in your lineup and then hope those weird things come to pass. And leaving two thousand dollars on the table is possibly one of them. I mean, what if? I mean, let's just say hypothetically, Poirier and Gastelum they both win seventy one hundred seven thousand. The winning lineup in those gpps is going to leave a bunch of money on the table even if you do go for the montel jackson at at uh, 9400 and i think i don't know maybe botello i gotta look at the whole salary list as a whole but um it, to win those gpps yeah you got to do something weird and, and especially because this isn't the you know most of the car and especially because this card we were talking about before we came on the air the sat the vegas odds on this card are surprising not surprisingly but far more closer in most every fight than you're used to seeing, you know, at pretty much, except for, you know, one or two fights, maybe three, you know, everybody is no more than the favorite in every fight is like no more than minus 200. And nowadays it's rare. You see so few cards, so few fights on any card with that few fighters being heavily favored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we could, we could go on these guys for days and, and the general strategy of the thing, but let's move on and hit the rest of this pay-per-view card, John. Uh, glad we got a little disagreement in on there. That always makes for a, for a little funner show, hopefully. But, uh, anyway, 205 pounds, light heavyweight division. There's a little bit of a drop off after these two title fights as, as is known to happen on oftentimes with the UFC here, but we've got Eric Honors. Khalil Roundtree. Anders has been up and down middleweight, light heavyweight here, but he enters as a pretty big favorite against Roundtree. Uh, he's 9,000 on DraftKings. Roundtree is 7,200. Anders a minus 190 favorite. Roundtree comes back at plus 165. The odds to finish on this one were minus 215. I was a little surprised to see the odds to finish less than the Holloway Poirier in the main event, but nonetheless, you want to get a piece probably because of these odds to finish numbers. But John, for me, this one is kind of a toss-up. I feel like either one of these guys could knock each other out. How do you see this one playing out? Um, you're right, and um, I picked Anders. Uh, I'm not terribly confident about it. Uh, as a, as the, I'm really not confident about it when you look at the salaries. Um, but uh, basically, Eric Anders, and what I'm about to say about Anders is going to apply to Oven St. Pru, who we'll talk about in a couple minutes. Um, they're both athletes who are mixed martial artists and i know that sounds a little weird but um they are essentially they're not really true mixed martial artists in the sense that the majority of their success comes because they're so athletic um anders played division one college football at the university of alabama i'm fairly positive he won a national championship when he was there um, he'll turn 32 when we're talking Nick Saban here. Yeah, I'm fairly positive he won when he was there. He'll turn 32 years old next week, but he has only 14 career fights under his belt. 
he is a good six to eight to ten, you know, depending on how active he would be. Fights behind where he should be at this point in his career. And, you know, you can spar all you want. You can train all you want. Um, it's not the same, you know, just like any other sport. You know, you practice all you want. It, it's not the same in, until you actually get in a game against other guys. In this case, another guy who's trying to punch you in the face. So um, I picked Anders to win, but <coughs> Roundtree is a decent fighter. And he actually had some momentum of late. And then he fought uh, Johnny Walker, who um, is essentially on the um, – I would guess he's like – closing in on a title shot because of the lack oh, yeah. of depth at like heavyweights. So he he's he's almost there. And Roundtree got knocked out in less than two minutes. So mm-hmm. um but Walker's been knocking out everybody and he looks like a future champion a future world champion. So mm-hmm. you know you can't really knock Roundtree too much on that. But I think uh, the public's underestimating Roundtree a little bit given where the betting I would agree line with and the that. prices yeah. are. It's I would agree with that. I mean um, I'm gonna pick Anders as well, but this is another one that I again just one punch lands in the right way. Uh you know, I think it could go either way. I mean Roundtree, yeah he got beat by a real good up-and-comer but also smoke gokan saki in two minutes too so like and he's a very established kickboxer so there's skill there in round three he's 29 years old room for improvement uh it's possible but i but i'm with you in going anders on this one yeah and i would uh this is probably a good you know this is probably a good fight to get fight to get a piece of because these are two guys who are brawlers yeah you know they come and they bang so um i i I'm actually a little surprised the odds to finish are only minus 215. I think that number would be a little higher. So um, if if you like either of these guys and you think there's a distinct advantage, um, this is a good fight to get a piece of somewhere. Uh, not to mention also, close to you, like you mentioned, as you get a little bit lower on this card, it kind of thins out in terms of names we know and you know people we have a lot of information on. So um, you know we're both picking Anders to win, but again, at nine thousand, it's a little hefty, and Roundtree makes decent sense as an underdog. Yeah, I mean your nine thousand dollar fighter gets KO'd, which is very possible here. Um, that's tough. It, it's such a catch twenty two because there's that risk that's involved because the other guy's live, but also you want to get one of these sides here. So that's a decision that MMA players are going to have to make. I made my A lineup already. I don't have either of these guys in it but i'm starting to rethink that maybe i want to leave more money on the table and throw a montel jackson in favor of someone like anders because i think he's got a better chance to win but when i start getting into that it's like okay now i need to make lineups three four five six seven eight nine and ten right not to mention you 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 can make a lineup where we just mentioned you could use poirier gaslam and roundtree at you know right around seven thousand a piece because they're all valid plays as underdogs but this card doesn't have that one or two high price lock fighter where you say, oh, okay, that's definitely worth my 9200 You know, this mm-hmm. card doesn't have that. So that makes it even harder to do that because then you're going to leave a ton of money on the mm-hmm. table and that makes it difficult. Yeah, the biggest one is Montel Jackson at 9400 He's a minus 500 favorite against Andre Sukumthath and Sure, I, I believe that. I'll use them, you know, you know, whatever. But uh, outside of that, and of course Holloway, uh, we're we're not running into those big ticket fighters. I'm sorting by salary real quick. Yeah, Adesanya at 9200 is the second highest price fighter. On, yeah, I on mean, the you know, if, if if you're going with with with, with a bunch of underdogs, uh, you know, for your you know the main core of your lineup, I'd be really, really, really nervous about Montel Jackson having to lead me the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. At least you'll know if your night's alive early, right? Because he's going to be on the early undercard. Sure, that will take. That'll put an end to you quickly. You can shut it off. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to bed. But uh, no, I wouldn't go to bed with these title fights going on here. Uh, let's keep moving to, though down the main card. A few more fights to discuss here. Welterweight matchup: Alan Joban, Dwight Grant. Uh, Dwight Grant 
awesome nickname, the Body Snatcher. I can dig that. Uh, Grant seventy nine hundred. Joban eighty three hundred. This fight's basically a pick. I'm seeing Joban at minus one fifteen. Grant at minus one hundred five. So neither of these guys are at plus money. I'm not sure I trusted enough to bet this fight in any way. Odds to finish here minus one twenty five. Uh, what do you think about this one? I don't like Joban's striking defense. Uh, he's this fight is this fight. This card is full of guys who have a bunch of power and um, are aggressive, and as a result, their striking defense is lousy. Um, Dwight Grant. This is only his third fight with the company, um, but I'm. This is more me being worried about Joe Ban's striking defense than it is, you know, about Grant himself. But again, when you're at a fight that could essentially go either way, and you know you're really not sure exactly what you want to do, we always advocate you take the lower price fighter for you know obvious reasons. It gives you more room to do something somewhere else. So um, I'm going to take Grant in a slight upset, but Joe Ban is definitely. Joven definitely has power, um, and his striking defense is definitely terrible. I mean, I'm not sure the numbers bear that it's all that uh, you know awful, but he's another guy who is comfortable in brawls and um, really just probably doesn't pay him as much attention to defense as he probably should. Mm-hmm. And I know he's a male model. Um, so this also rarely gets talked about because he looks like he's 25. But the guy's also Joe Man's also 36 years old now. Yeah. He literally looks like he's 25, but he's now 36 years old. So he's getting up there. So you know, in each of the first four fights we just talked about, I would have zero problem if you wanted to make an argument to me that the underdog and the cheaper salary-wise fighter is the better play. Yep, I'm going Grant on this one as well, John. Uh, so I so he's another one, 34 years old, but just three UFC fights. You know, he had a Bellator fight too, I guess. Came up on Contender Series. I watched Dwight Grant in uh, Milwaukee when I uh, I went to that card where that was headlined by Lee and I Aquinta too. And um, I watched Dwight Grant lose a split decision to Zach Otto in a horribly boring fight where they just kind of hung on to each other. Grant bounced back pretty quick though and got that KO win in the first round against Carlo Pettersoli Jr. Um, I think that Joe Bounds going, he's not going to try to just like grab onto him like Zach Otto did. It's going to be a, um, Joe Ban will strike with him. And that's what we need here for, to make this an exciting fight. And I, I don't know. I think Grant's got more power and has a better chance. If he gets engaged in a brawl like Joanne probably wants, um, I think Grant can finish the job, and I think he can finish the job early. So he's definitely in my DraftKings lineups, and and I'm feeling pretty good about that pick here. Um, Let's go ahead and move on to the final one, though, John. Light heavyweight matchup again. Got Ovin St. Prue against Nikita Krylov. Uh, this one's basically a pick 'em too. I mean, you're going to run into this a lot on this card. St. Prue, 8,000 on DraftKings. Krylov 8200 on DraftKings, St. Prue uh, minus 105, Krylov minus 115. This could swing either way. It's basically a pick 'em fight. The odds to finish on this one, though, are quite substantial. Minus 335, that's the largest mark of the entire uh, main card here. This is a real tough one to put in your lineup on DraftKings because it could go a lot of ways. They have fought before. Ovin, you know, he gave him kind of the Von Prue choke or, or the Von Flu choke for your old school guys out there. St. Prue has more Von Flu chokes than anyone else in the UFC, including Von flu himself so we can just go ahead and call it the von proof choke it'll say shoulder choke if you look at it on sure dog or whatever just kind of a, a fun anecdote there here um i think there's a reasonable chance that happens again but what do you think john i don't know this fight is just like everything in the light heavyweight division once you get past the first three or four guys uh we talk about this seemingly every single time there's a light heavyweight fight that doesn't feature a top guy 
all these guys do is fight each other and nothing is ever accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, I know I don't know if it was our last, last, uh, event, last pod we did or the one before that, but we definitely mentioned a couple of the guys, you know, John Vellante, Alir Latifi, St. Prue, Patrick Cummings, where all these guys do is fight each other and they all are like win one, lose one. And no one ever does, you know, no one ever moves up mm-hmm. in the division. Um, this is a good example of that. Um, like you said, they fought way back in March 2014, which OSP won with, with the Von, Von Fluchok in just over two minutes. Look, like I mentioned earlier, OSP is in the same boat that Eric Anders is in, in the sense that he's a world-class athlete. OSP played Division One football at the University of Tennessee, who um, will show flashes of brilliance, the, you know, those Von Fluchoks. He's had some really, really big knockouts. But the truth of the matter is he's an athlete kind of masquerading as a mixed martial artist. And that's not meant to put him down. It's just he's so athletic that the majority of his success in the sport comes because of that. And another guy who got a, you know, probably a late later start to the sport than he should have OSP turned 36 years old two days ago. So, you know, you don't talk about it all that much, but you know, he's another guy getting up there in age <coughs> and yeah. Krylov, Krylov, oh, sorry, Krylov had a bunch of success in the UFC, then left the company um, had a couple fights in Russia where you know he beat up on Emmanuel Newton and Fabio Maldonado and, and a bunch of nobodies, and then he came back in September. Um, he got a pretty decent money contract to come back. Came back in September, fought Jan Jan Blakovich and essentially no showed the fight. He ended up getting submitted with an arm triangle in the second round, and um, it was a really really highly concerning performance because. Krylov, who has fought as high as heavyweight in the past, um, was kind of getting a push as a guy who they brought him back. UFC went out of their way to bring him back, and you know he kind of just you know crapped out in his first fight back with the company. Um, I'm yeah, gonna I mean, pick, yeah, I'm gonna pick OSP, um, and I'm a, and for one reason to look at is you know OSP is a crazy athlete and all that, but. Um, he does have a good submission game for a guy for, I will say that is one thing for a guy who, um, you know, probably doesn't have all the experience that he should. OSP is a pretty good ground fighter and five of Krylov's six career losses are by submission. So if there's a weakness in Krylov's game, that's probably it. But again, as the salaries tell you another fight with, you know, virtually no separation between the two, either guy can win. Um, Probably give the edge to OSP slightly if the fight is on the feet, only because I think he's faster, which isn't a surprise given his football background. But um, again, this is another close fight, and when it's a close fight, I usually tend to take the underdog just because the payoff's higher. Yeah, I've thought a lot about. Or excuse me, I've thought and a lot I about this one. On this too. Yeah, I went back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one that. Yeah, I, I'm flip flopping on this too. I came into the show thinking, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna <coughs> go ahead and pick OSP in this fight, and I'm probably going to stick to it. But I don't know. Krylov is 27, and there's room for growth there. We haven't seen it yet. Apparently, Jan Blakovich is better than we all gave him credit for because yes. he continues moving up the ladder. I'm, I'm not sure I buy it just yet. I think he got booked for a, a Luke Rockhold fight today. Rockhold going to make his debut at 205 pounds. So a little bit of a little bit of breaking news for you. But um, but yeah, I mean Krylov, he just hasn't had the success in the UFC. Well, I mean, he had that 
five fight winning streak where he's thinking oh well, maybe we might fight him for a title and then he got submitted by misha Serkinov and yeah left the promotion and now is back got submitted right away oh man this is back and forth uh i don't really like the prospect of using either of these guys on DraftKings, even with the big odds to finish mark uh i would probably prefer dwight grant in the spot here because i mean you know you can get there with the similar salaries uh this is tough but i'm gonna go osp as well i think he uh there's more ways he can win he can win a decision i think he can out he could win a decision if he's able to keep top position work his wrestling a little bit you know the athlete in him can help him do that and maybe he can sneak a submission out there and get you some big DraftKings points it's but- just all these guys are so in that division other than you know the top get topping guys are just so inconsistent you just never know what you're going to get from one fight to another and the fights they lose a lot of the time not only do they lose they get destroyed i'm talking you know they don't last more than a couple minutes so mm-hmm. it, it's really you know this might be a good one to avoid if you can yeah yeah i'm, I'm right there with you i've got saint Pruin early because i you know after my big favorites and underdogs balanced out i needed a couple guys across the middle but i'm definitely going to think about that a little bit here but let's shift the focus a little more to DraftKings in particular john uh, i always look for odds value a couple guys and while i was doing this today i found a couple uh either or type of dilemmas that fantasy owners might face so i want to run some of these guys by you and uh and we can kind of talk about which direction we would go in here first uh we got a couple of underdogs curtis millinder is 77 although he is plus 115 and then you have matt frevola at 7800 and let me just check on the odds here to see if that's changed at all he is plus 110 so you've got two guys with some odds values there i mean the salaries are lower than the odds indicated here if you got 7800 left in your lineup which one of those two are you going with i'd probably take millinder only because if there's one thing curtis millinder does have going for him it's that he's an excellent athlete um and he's durable He's never been knocked out as a professional, so um, he's also durable. And sure, he fought in March and got submitted by Alezu Zaleski Del Santos in you know just over two and a half minutes. Well, I think he's scary. I think I think. Oh, Del he is. That, that, that's that was the point I was just going to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy's really good. So you know, Millinder losing to him, he, you know, he won his first three UFC fights prior to that. But yeah, yeah I was going to make the exact point you made in the sense that you know, losing to him. You know, if we look at this a year and a half down the road or two years down the road, I don't think that's going to be all that much of an issue. You know, that's a guy who has top five ability. So saying Millinder lost to him, you know, isn't going to be all that big of a knock on Millinder. And, exactly. you know, I try and bet on athletes whenever I can. And, and Millinder is an exceptional athlete and he definitely has power. So yeah. I would probably go with him in that case. Yeah, started his career with wins over Tiago Alves, Max Griffin, Sayer Bajrizada. I mean, it's it's a decent run. He's looked better than he has against Dos Santos. And yeah, I don't think he's had a super big risk. Of, of trying to get submitted by Bilal Muhammad. So I'm with you on that one. And I want to find one where we disagree, but I think we might be on the same page on this next one, too. Here's a toss-up for you. We got, uh, we got Wilson Hayes. He's 7,400 only and plus 130. So actually pretty decent odds value there. And another one that you're going to have to decide against would be uh, Lauren Mueller, M- Mueller at 7,300. She's facing uh, Botelio. In, uh, in in a, in a ladies fight, second one on the card, Poliana Botello. Uh, Mueller is a little bit more of a dog, about plus one forty. Uh, I've seen that move around. I mean, she's best fight odds has it anywhere from plus one twenty five to plus one fifty five. So uh, there's some range there here. But you got to pick Wilson Hayes or Lo- Lauren Mueller. Which one are you going with? So real quick, um, obviously, you know, we I play DraftKings all the time, but 
as far as like physically betting on fights, you know, like Vegas odds, I probably do it no more than four or five times a year. But once in a while, every couple months, there's one fight that will stick out and I'll say, okay, that doesn't look right. And uh, I'll just, you know, bet a decent amount of money on it. Um, last time I did, it was in December. Wilson Hayes was about, you know, minus one, depending on where you looked, plus 105 or so against Ben Wynn. So, you know, I put a decent amount of money on Hayes. Easiest money I ever made in my life. Wilson Hayes is really good. I like. I don't know. I don't really understand the odds or the salaries here. Um, Hayes fought against Demetrius Johnson for UFC Championship not all that long ago. <laughs> sure, he got whipped in that fight, but you know. And I kind of think he's getting undervalued still. Mm-hmm. Because he's been, after he's lo- been facing killers, I think. You're oh, he's really say, good. Yeah. After losing the after losing to Mighty Mouse, he was knocked out by Henry Cejudo. And then he lost to John Moraga in a fight where he just didn't look right. So three losses in a row for a guy who was for a long time at the top of the division and everybody just seemingly forgot about him. Then he came back in December, destroyed Ben Wynn in a unanimous decision, took him down a bunch of time, you know, easy work. And now he's again, for some reason, at least to me, it looks like he's being undervalued. And um, even if you don't, you know, you're not sure who's the better play between him and Mueller, like you just mentioned. We have far, far more data and, you know, information that Wilson Hayes is a world-class fighter than we do on Lauren Mueller, who has, what, no more than a handful of fights with the company, I don't think. She only has six professional fights total. So um, I would definitely take Hayes. There are, a few, there are a couple guys in the company who, <coughs> excuse me, um, for some reason always seem to get underrated. Their salaries always seem to be cheap. The Vegas odds always seem to be low. And for some reason, Hayes is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, so I'm with you there. So I think we've given our listeners enough to build some lineups with for sure, you know, guys like Hayes being live dogs and some of the main and co-main guys being uh, viable. Anybody else jump out as value plays or anything else like general observations on the card before we wrap up? You know, I think the main observation was just which I mentioned earlier. You know, this is a card where, if you look at the Vegas odds up and down, except for one or two fights, and what are there thirteen fights on the card or whatever, um, except for one or two fights, the Vegas odds across the board are fairly close. You know, you see a lot of minus one twenty fives and plus one oh fives, which, you know, when all said and done, that's essentially a pick 'em. You know, there's like very very little separ- separation, and you know those numbers will change as the week goes on, and you know the money comes in on one guy or another. But this more so than most cards, especially pay-per-view cards, is a um, a card where you can make a pretty decent case for uh, both fighters in most of the fights. And the first three fights on the card we mentioned, you'd be totally justified going with the underdog. Mm-hmm. Right, so, <laughs> it's from a DK spot, a DK point of view. Yeah, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you here. Uh, if you're out there, uh, keep pumping the money in on Adesanya <laughs> so I can get a better uh, better odds value on Gasolum. I, I think he's going to be used <laughs> in my uh, DraftKings thing. I'm hoping that uh, he gets a lot of public money after the weigh-ins and they see that people see the size difference. I think some sharps might balance that out. But I guess we will see. That's all the gambling lingo I've got for you guys today. Thanks again for listening to the Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. Once again, uh, John Littering is my guest and main analyst. Always a pleasure uh, hosting with you guys. If you're out there on Twitter, follow John at J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can find me on Twitter. I'll tweet about fights. I'll tweet about hoops. And I'll I'll throw some Rotowire stuff out there for my guys. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at jakeski 52 uh, John, we'll be back prior to UFC 237. We've got a ladies' title fight. Rose Namajunas is coming back, and she's getting on uh, 
Very, very dangerous opponent in Jessica and Draj. Can't wait to break that one down with you. Uh, but until next time, good luck to everybody on DraftKings. Rate and review the pod if you get a chance to. Um, we're going to post staff picks on Rotowire tomorrow. We're going to the Fight IQ guys are going to do their thing on Friday night. And uh, of course, rotowire.com slash F R E E for a 10 day trial. No strings attached, no credit card. We'll hook you up. We do tons of awesome MLB DFS content. Get you a playoff hockey, playoff basketball, whatever you need to hopefully get those bankrolls going in addition to the MMA content we bring you here. So uh, once again, uh, thank you for listening and best of luck with those lineups.